0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together.
1: So we welcome you. I invite you to go in your Bibles. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 7, title of today's message, Celebrating God's Power. Celebrating God's Power. And from this, we can, David is a, a marvelous example for us. Uh, celebrating God's presence, we, we looked at that, celebrating God's glory. David has just been a helpful illustration for us. So as we're in 2 Samuel 7 this morning... Today we're going to be looking at our third distinctive as a church, which is fervent prayer. Believing in the power of God. Believing in the power of God, we are devoted to praying boldly without ceasing. We're not, we don't believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of God. And therefore, because our God reigns over all, He's omnipotent over all, we seek Him. We pray to him because he actually is alive and he hears and he answers prayer. He's powerful. I remember growing up, my grandparents, my dad's parents, my mom's parents, they were prayer warriors. And I remember being in Montana and hearing my grandparents, you know, they fired up, my my grandpa would fire up the old uh, potbelly kind of a stove, a cook stove that had the sides, put the wood in. And it would just fill the house with you know that smell and it just you could hear it crackling in there and the stove would be warming up and they'd be praying in there one time my my parents left me with my mom's parents in wisconsin and they went out of town for about a week i think i was about eight years old and we would get up and we would have breakfast and then we would go into their prayer room their little office and we prayed. I'm surprised I'm here yet and not still with them praying. I mean, it just seemed like we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And they, they knew the Lord. They knew what it was to pray. I'm thankful for that heritage. There's wonderful resources on prayer. Some of these I have commended to you in the past. H.B. Charles, it happens after prayer. He says this, when when the disciples came upon Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives a response. He says, I believe the wonder-working disciples made this request because prayer is one of the most difficult things to learn as followers of Christ. Harder than preaching and doing miracles. It's one of the hardest lessons to learn because it's one of the most important things to learn in your Christian life prayer. Harder than preaching, harder than doing miracles, is to pray, is to seek God's face. Daniel Henderson's book, Transforming Prayer, I've given out many of these uh, 21 days of transforming prayer. He makes this comment, he says, worship-based prayer seeks the face of God before the hand of God. God's face is the essence of who he is. God's hand is the blessing of what he does. God's face represents his person and his presence. God's hand expresses his provision for needs in our lives. I have learned, he writes, that if all we ever do is seek God's hand, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, he will be glad to open his hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. Another helpful book. This book has been sitting out. I think we may have one or two copies still around, Praying the Bible uh, by Donald Whitney. And he makes this, and and he addresses right out of the gate of this book what maybe you've experienced as I've experienced, and that is sometimes my prayer life is a snore. It's boring. It's just, where are we going? What's happening here? Did I fall asleep again? Am I, am I thinking about the to-do list of today again? And so he writes and he addresses this because it is the key. And he says this, he says, therefore, the problem is not that we pray about the same old things. Do you ever feel like you're just saying the same old things when you pray? Rather, he says, it's that we say the same old things about the same old things. There are some things in our lives that we'll never stop caring about. Family, needs, health, nation, various times of crisis and things that come up. Those things will often stay alive in our, we we, we pray about them, But when we find ourselves just repeating and saying the same old thing and the same old thing, almost that our kids can mouth our prayers and they're just going through us, you know, going through with us, but it's like they just know what we're going to say before we even say it. It's it's not like conversation. How do we address that? Scripture-based prayers. It's taking the Word of God. Maybe, Maybe today you prayed Psalm 4. Maybe yesterday you prayed through Psalm 3. And you just took a verse and, and you just thought about that verse and then you just turned that verse into prayer right back to the Lord and then went to the next verse and went to the next verse. And then all of those same concerns and needs and cares on your heart, you found them filtered back through Scripture. Scripture-fed, Spirit-led prayers. Praying together. Praying together with others, is, uh, th- that marks some of the greatest memories I have in life. Praying with family, praying with my kids when they were little, putting them to bed, praying with grandparents. Told you about that. Praying with fellow team members, staff, pastoral staff. Our time's in Illinois, praying with the pastor in his office. Come on, boys, let's pray. Praying in small groups. Many times we separate men with men and ladies with ladies, and we just, we just go to the throne of grace together. no fear of, well, what will people think about what I'm saying? Who cares? You're not praying to them. They don't sit on a a throne that has no end, no beginning and no end. They're just with you, right? These times of prayer, praying in India with the believers, brothers and sisters in Christ in India, I wanted to bring them all back here, and they didn't fit in my suitcase. (laughs) Like, bring that here. Let me tell you something. Praying together with those who gather and we pray before every service. There's a piece of that here because it's the same spirit of God. Praying with brothers and sisters in Africa. Here we are less than a month and I'll be there in Africa. I cannot wait to be back and to be praying with brothers in Christ that go back into very difficult places ministering the light of the gospel to churches that are in desperate need. And some of them have said to, to Harrison, you know, like, hey, where did all the pastors go that used to come over here and help us? Where are they at? Have they forgotten about us? And Harrison's like, no, it's a thing called the pandemic going on. They, they can't exactly get here very easily right now. But God is a way maker. And we're planning on this again. But nothing good will happen apart from fervent prayer. And so we pray. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in as much as you can. Is that what he says? Everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I cannot read that verse without hearing Harrison Banda in the back of my head when he closes prayers, he closes them with thanksgiving in our hearts. It's right out of Scripture. Everything we've prayed to you, Lord, everything we've offered to you, we offer with thanksgiving in our hearts, with gratitude. So in 2 Samuel 7, we find David to be very helpful. He's an example, an example for us to examine, to, to take this apart, to look at this. The, the ark has been placed in the, in the tent at Jerusalem. And David just isn't content. He's not, okay, I've done all I can do. No, he still has more to do. So what should we learn then from David that will help strengthen and develop our life of prayer? What do we need to pull out of his life to look at, put on the table, examine, and then examine my own prayer life in light of what I see in 2 Samuel 7, so that I might grow in my life of prayer, so that we as a church family will grow together in grace as those who know what it is to pray. Do you know how, you know, I can recommend resources? I will be honest with you, I've read resources and sometimes it is helpful and sometimes I feel more defeated. Like, man, if I could only pray like them, if my prayer life was only like that. The best way for us to learn to pray is similar to how you learn to ride a bike or swim. If you're going to learn to ride a bike, what do you have to do? Get on the bike. If you're going to learn how to swim, what do you have to do? you got to get in the water. If we're going to learn how to pray, the best way for us to learn how to pray is to pray. pray. It's to seek God's face. And we learn much from those that we pray with. It helps us. First of all, we see in this first section here, David made a great plan. And we're going to see this in the first three verses. He made a wonderful plan. This plan is fantastic. We just ended with, you know, last week, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You know, who, are you? who do you think you are, David? You embarrassed me out there. 2 Samuel 7 opens, verse 1, Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David here resolved to build God a house. He's, not, he, he's made a tent. He brought the ark back. The ark is there. There's rest. He's thinking. He's in a time of reflection. He says, I don't know where he's at. He's sitting in his throne room and he's looking around saying, this is a nice place I have. This is amazing. And then he starts thinking, I, I made a tent out there. I'm living in this amazing palace And the God who gave me my kingdom, his presence is in a tent out back. This is in right. He didn't say, I've done enough. Saul never did that. I've done more than other people. He's just looking at the situation and he can see there's a problem here. There's a discrepancy here. Something's wrong here. He saw a need and he set out to do something about it. Don't you love those people when you work with them? The people that just don't complain, the people that see what's wrong, and then they actually set out to do something about it. Those are valuable people in your family, in your work environment, maybe a school where you are, in a church. Hey, Pastor, you know. Instead of, hey, Pastor, you know, problem solved. Listen there are people in this congregation that are of this caliber. And let me tell you something, they're MVPs. Right? This is where somebody sees a need, how can I be used by God to meet that need? I praise God for these people. And you know, here's Nathan, Nathan the man of God, he listens to David's heart, he listen, listens to his idea, and he endorsed the king's plan. Had a boy Dave, he joined in with enthusiasm. Way to go. But here's the problem. He didn't seek the will of the Lord. He didn't take time to pray. This all sounded so good. David's got a plan. I love that plan. Go get him, Dave. Build the Lord a house. Problem was, he didn't seek the face of the Lord. Now, nathan the man of god should have known his history his church history that after israel came into the land of canaan under joshua and they conquered the city of jericho marching around marching around seventh day seven times blow the trumpets walls fall the city and that was such an amazing victory they have now a beachhead in the entire land of Canaan. And now the fear of God is throughout all the land of Canaan that if Jericho fell, we have no chance against this God. So then Joshua dispatches the troops out to this little town of Ai. You know, this would be like, well, you know, we, we, we took Detroit, You know, there's the little town of Memphis up the road. Oh, you know, let's just send out the commandos. They got that. No big deal. And that day, 36 men died. And Joshua comes back wrecked. What happened? What was the problem? He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't know that there was something that happened when they were in Jericho. And Achan saw and he coveted and he disobeyed the Lord and he took the garment and he took the wealth, and he went home to his tent and he buried it in his tent. And the Lord saw what he had done. He had taken the thing that was devoted to the Lord and therefore the judgment of the Lord and the Lord didn't go with him into battle. And therefore Joshua is wrecked. And then the Lord says, get up, stop crying. I'll show you what the problem is. 12 tribes narrows down to this tribe, everybody else off the hook. And just put yourself in Achan's position. There's 12 tribes. There's like over a million of us. How, does, how, how is this a big, surely I'm not even the only one that would have done this, you know, cheated on my taxes. And probably other people did this as well, not just me. And then they say, oh, this tribe is the one that needs to be concerned. Oh, that's my tribe. And this family in the tribe, uh-oh, That's my family. And it comes down to Joshua looking at Achan saying, tell us what you've done. Nathan should have known this. There's nothing, loved ones, that we can enter into and do and accomplish without seeking the help of the Lord. We have no power on our own. And Nathan could have given that sermon. And let me tell you something. I could give that sermon. I can give that sermon from memory. And I wish I could tell you, therefore, every time I've ever done anything, I've always entered into prayer first. That would be a lie. There's been plenty of times I've relied on my own strength. And let me tell you what often happens. Face plant. There's nothing we can do apart from the help of the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man. Okay, so David, making a plan. Well, that's good, but you're a man, David. Well, I'm a king. You're still a man. But the answer of the tongue is from where? It's from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, very similar. The heart of a man plans his way. But, read it with me, the Lord establishes his steps. It's it's good, it's right. We make plans, but if those plans are ever going to be carried out, it's the Lord who establishes our steps. Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but read it with me. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We make plans, but if those plans are ever going to come through to fruition, it's the Lord who has done it, and he's the one who gets the glory. Loved ones, we have plans to build a mile and a half down the road on 30 Mile. We're in kind of the crockpot mode. Been in it for quite a while. Per- ground was purchased in the 80s, okay? Added to it five more acres in, in uh, 2016. If anything, if a worship center is built there, it'll be the Lord who does it, and that will be the testimony. And so the process has been, it's in slow motion and, and all of the supply chain and the building materials and costs, we're working on that and the Lord continues to supply. But can we just stop for a moment and say, God, with thanksgiving on our hearts for almost 1.5 million given in, the, in less than two years? Waymaker, beautiful. <laughs> Right, God is working when we can't see that he's working. And everyone who has part in this. But if it gets accomplished, it won't because you had a really smart pastor or elders or we were smart or we were, no. It's the Lord who does this for us to be here today. We're not waiting on when we have that place. Well, then, no, no, that will be used if the Lord gives us that place to worship, we will leverage it and we will use it for His glory. And we believe there's a reason why God placed it on the hearts of people who gave sacrificially so long ago, decades ago. But it's the Lord who will do this. God willing, we'll break ground in the spring. But that's God willing. Brian willing, it ain't worth nothing. Not even Russ willing, and he's willing. God willing. He'll bring in the supply that we need and make a way. Number two, David received a greater promise. And we see this in the verses four through 17. David made a plan. I'm going to build the Lord a house. Nathan, you go get him, Dave. You're the man. You're an awesome king and planner. But David received a greater promise. Because here we learn that God gives him a big, bold no. Verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord. Not Nathan, Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, not done yet, Dave, that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever Nathan spoke to David. This is mind-boggling. This is absolutely overwhelming. God sends Nathan back, and he comes back with bad news for the king. Okay, Nobody wants this job to go back to the king and say, you know what you wanted to do? You can't. So God sent Nathan back to David and said, you have to go back to him, and you have to tell him no. He can't do what he wants to do. I won't let him. Tell him no, because his hands, they've shed too much blood. Loved ones, we cannot solve our sin problem with God on our own. God redeems us and he gets the glory, and we get the grace. And so here is David, he's setting out, he has a desire in his heart, the man of God has given him you know, the thumbs up, and the Lord comes that very night and says, you have to go back and you have to tell a difficult message to the king. And he didn't tell him this, this is just a warm up because there's a more difficult message coming in a few chapters, and I'll send you back to him again. But he says, you have to go back and you have to tell him no. Psalm 49, verse seven, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their, of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. David was a warrior. David had shed much blood. And so the Lord is is putting distance between a future descendant of David and David and says, I know you want to build me a house, but you can't. Your hands have shed too much blood, so I'm going to have to make a way for you. So then how does David respond? David embraced rejection with humility and action. And I love this. He didn't just sit over there and pout. He didn't get mad. He didn't tell Nathan, off with your head. You know, that's it. You're not going to tell me no. And he's the king. He could have. But instead, he embraced this rejection. Do you, do you love rejection? Hey, I've got an idea, you say at work. And they're like, no, bad idea. Who's, who else has an idea? Wow, that was pretty harsh. You know, how about we eat here this afternoon? No, we all hate that place, you know. Oh. Any other ideas? No. I'm not even gonna give you any more ideas. But that's not how David responds. We see he's a man after God's own heart. He's humbled. And he's humble before the Lord. The Lord reminded David of his plan, of his presence, and his provision. So, loved ones, it's right for us to make plans, but we have to remember that our plans and our lives must be submitted to the Lord and His sovereign plan. We have responsibility, but God is sovereign over all things. So, we are not, as believers, fatalists. Whatever will be, will be. Jesus, take the wheel. No, he gave you a brain, a mind, eyes, hands, whatever he gave you, the faculties that he gave you to take the wheel and control your vehicle as you leave today and go wherever you're going this afternoon. Don't say, well, God is sovereign over whatever happens. And he sovereignly gave you the responsibility to drive your vehicle safely. So we make plans, but if those plans, if we get from point A to point B, the Lord is the one who got us there. He's the one who carried us there. First Chronicles 22, David gives an ex- explanation. If you want to turn there, it'll be on the screen as well. But in 1 Chronicles 22, David gives a behind-the-scenes to his son Solomon, who was going to build this house. Th- then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord. And I have to tell you something. In the, in the context here, this is after David... He, he, he wanted to number the people. As a king, I want to know how big my army is. And so he numbered the people and, and his right-hand man said, uh, Dave, the Lord hasn't commanded this. You shouldn't be doing this. This is dangerous. You're on thin ice. You shouldn't do this. And David said, I'm the king. We're going to do this. And then the judgment of God came out upon the people of God because of David's failure in leadership. So then he goes and he purchases the floor of Ornan, and that is the place where the temple would be built. So we see all of this, David's sin, he messes up, but God's grace, God's plan of redemption is coming through Jesus through that place. And David says, here shall be the house of the Lord God and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Now that, that's, that's temple mount, that the dome of the rock is there. That will not be the final of that, of that mount. David commanded Verse two, to gather together the resident aliens, all right, who were in the, these are foreigners who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dress stones for the building of the house of God. Wait a second, wasn't he told no? You no, know, he's not building it. He's just getting all the stonework ready. Like, oh, I'm not building it. But here's the stone and here's the cutters. And what else does he do? David also provided great quantities of iron for the nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps as well as bronze and quantities beyond. We just gave up weighing. Verse four, and cedar timbers without number, we stopped counting. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great, great quantity before his death. That is the heart of David. So he's told no, he's, getting, he's received a stiff arm from the Lord. No, you can't build the house. And he said, did you say I can't give, give to the house? I can't get all the supplies ready for the house? You didn't say that, did you? bring everything, all the cedars and bronze, bring it all, I'll pay for it. David would even give his king's treasury, his chest, his escape you know, loot that if the kingdom ever fell, you take that with you and you can live like a king the rest of your life. And he's like, here, Lord, I'm all in for your house, for your name. So then we see David was, received a promise from God that the Lord actually says, I'll build you a house. I'll build you an everlasting house, David. I'm gonna give you a promise. And we see that in verses nine through, through 17. He scrapped David's plans and he said, you know what, give me your plans. You're gonna build me a house? No, let me throw that out. Let me give you a promise. I'm gonna build you a house. And David is humbled. We're responsible, and I'm gonna say it again, to make plans. We are to make our plans and live open-handedly before God and before others. This is how we're to live our lives. And as soon as I start cl- clutching my hand around my family, my reputation, whatever I try to p- close my hands around, that's a guarantee you know, I'll, I'll lose it. What I leave open, that's the place the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and Job said, blessed be the name of of the Lord, how does God give to us when we live this way with him? That's my money. That's my time. That's my reputation. I'm gonna keep it. You'll lose it. But you give it to the Lord, that's how you keep it forever, because he keeps it. James 4, verse 13 the half-brother of Jesus has come now. You who say, now listen to this arrogance. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. They just say it. That's what we're going to do. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead, here's what a follower of Christ says. Here's what a believer says. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. There's our plan. But if the Lord sends Nathan back and says, you're not doing that, then we'll do that. We'll go here this afternoon, but if something providentially hinders you, then we'll do that. We were going to go there, but we're on the way to the hospital, then we'll do that. We'll do this or we'll do that. As it is, verse 16 says, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We make our plans, but those plans are all submitted to the sovereignty of God. That's the safe place for us to live, loved ones. And so we've done what we can do. We have done what is our responsibility to do as a parent, as a spouse. I've done all that I can do, but Lord, I'm trusting you with the outcome. And if the plan happens, the plan happens, and you're sovereign over that. If the plan doesn't go that way, then you're sovereign over that, and your grace will meet me right there when we're in that location instead of this location. God is sovereign. Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands how long? Say with me. Forever. Let's try this one more time. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Think about that. The plans of his heart to here we are generations later and we're still here. He's still good. He's still gracious. He's still redeeming. He's still changing lives. And even when I can't see it, he is what? Working. Even when I don't, especially when I don't feel it, he's working. There's a lot of times we, we can look at our families, we can look at our nation, our world, and say, really, Lord? Stop that. Lord, you are working and it all is going somewhere and you're sovereign, so help me to trust you more. And stop worrying and stop fretting and being anxious and angry. That's like David in our last message. And in this, the Lord says, here, Dave, give me your plan to build a house. No, no, that's file 13. But let me show you what I'm gonna do for you. And the Davidic covenant is given. It's the Davidic covenant that God, his plan of redemption that's been unfolding since Genesis chapter three, and it's narrowed down, and it's narrowed down through, you know, the son of Adam and Eve, uh, narrowed down through a descendant of Noah, narrowed down, chosen Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, his son, Jacob, Jacob now narrowed down to Judah, and now it's all coming in here of the tribe of Judah is a man named David, and this covenant is coming into focus that God will in fact redeem a people for himself and is coming through your house king david i made you the king and listen to these no less than 10 promises are given here listen to these we read these a moment ago verse 9 i'll make a great name for you verse 10 i will point a place for israel verse 11 i will give you rest from all your enemies verse 11 i will make a house uh, for you that will endure. Verse 12, I will raise up your offspring. Verse 12, I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. Verse 13, again, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse uh, 15, I will be a father to him. My steadfast love will not depart from him. And loved one, Solomon is coming and the Lord would have had every reason to say, are you kidding me? almost a thousand wives, and you have brought all kinds of idolatry into my kingdom, the Lord had every reason to say, Solomon, see ya. But he made a promise. Read Ecclesiastes when a Solomon has gone his own way and comes back and realizes the end of it all, fear God and keep his commandments. That's why you're breathing. That's why I'm breathing, is to know him and to love him. And anything else is not outside of that reality. It's, it's wasting our lives. If it doesn't lead to knowing God and enjoying God, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our lives. And so when I know God and I enjoy him, then we can take walks and say, do you realize our God made all this for us to enjoy? That's how much he loves people. Even non-believers that curse his name, he gives them air, he gives them food, he gives them fine things. They don't know him and they don't live with thanksgiving in their hearts. And again, it reiterates it in verse 16, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Picking right back, his kingdom, his house, his throne, like, Lord, you already said that a couple of times. I want you to know something. I'm going to do this, Dave. You're a man after my own heart. David made a great plan. God said, No, but I give you a greater promise. It stunned and humbled him. How would he respond then? Well, we see this in the closing of this chapter. He responds in a grateful prayer. That's appropriate. He just responds by seeking the Lord. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you, and now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord God. David offered this prayer of gratitude. And for as what we see here, we see a pattern that is helpful to us as we want to grow in our prayer lives. First of all, like David, we need to enter God's presence. And we saw that last week. He longed for God's presence. So now in the tent, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and David just goes out and he sits before the Lord. He, he goes in and he just, he's just abiding with the Lord. And so prayer demands, loved ones, that we need to take time to get quiet before the Lord. We need to turn off the, the stuff, to turn off the noise, and get quiet and enter into the presence of the Lord. Allow his word to sink into our hearts like David did to shape our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers. This is a scripture, the word of the Lord. He's just responding to the Lord. He stopped all the normal activity of a king. You think you're busy? He's a king. And he said, today, we're clearing the schedule and I'm gonna go get with the Lord. He enters into the presence of the Lord. The Bible says he sat before the Lord. He went in and he remained in the presence of the Lord. There's different postures throughout the scripture of what is the right way to listen to the word of the Lord? What's the right way to read the word of the Lord? What's the right way to pray? Should we be kneeling? Should we be standing? Should we face down? Should we be sitting? What is prayer supposed to look like? Answer, yes. It's about the heart. And so when we care about How is my heart before the Lord? There are different postures that represent, reflect what is going on inside. He simply goes in and he wasn't in a hurry. He waited on the Lord. That's what Jesus says in John 15 to abide. Abide in me. If you do not abide in me, for without me, he says, you can do nothing. To remain in him. We also, like David, need to gain the right perspective. And so he hears and he thinks about the word of the Lord. He goes into the presence of the Lord. And there he he has not been, you know, crushed by God. He wasn't just, you know, smoldered out of the presence of the Lord. He was welcomed into the presence of the Lord. And there he is and he's abiding with the Lord. The word of God is just going over in his heart and in his mind. And he's just meditating on the word. And this is where he gains the right perspective. And he says, who am I? Think of this contrast from, from lesser to greater. Who am I, O Lord God? How do you put that in the same sentence? Who am I? He's not saying, I'm the king. And now, Lord, you will listen to me. I'm planning to build a house and I'm going to do it. No, 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 no. He's got the right perspective now. Who am I? I was out with the sheep. I was fighting bears and lions. And the Lord chose me. Why? This is what it sounds like to be a believer. A, a true, genuine believer nev- never says, Of course he chose me. I mean, do you know me yet? I'm amazing. No, a genuine follower of Christ says, I don't, I have no idea why he chose me. I know me. And, and, and it's a mess. And yet he chose me and he called me and he loves me. And and my my Bible tells me he started a work in me and he's gonna finish that work. So my confidence isn't in flesh. It's not in my arm, it's in him. It's in the everlasting arm of the Lord. And so here he gets the right perspective. It's a biblical perspective, not the, the opinions or the perspective of what he's heard his whole life. He is now encountering God and it's overwhelmed him and at the same time brought him in and made a place for him. So he's not in fear. He's not afraid of being crushed by this God. He now realizes he realizes this God is transcendent, holy over everything, every nation, every people, all time, all places. And he chose me. I don't get it. So he's Seeing himself in the light of truth, he he looks at the Lord four times in these four verses. Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. You are the Lord of all. I don't understand what you're doing. Well, where does he move to next? Give God the highest praise. When he sees himself rightly, he sees God rightly. He just has to respond in verse 22 with, therefore, get ready. Let's worship. Let me extol this God. You are great. He's not saying, I am great. I'm nothing. And you chose me. You are great. There's none like you. There's, who do I compare you to? Well, you are like, no. Well, like the, no, the one nation, they're God, no. The other nation, no. You are alone, you're God. There, there's no one coming. You're unique, you're worthy, no contest. There's no God beside you. You are alone in supremacy and rank. And who is like, you see how closely the Lord is connected to his people? And who is like your people that, what's what, what's good about Israel, what's good about believers, you redeemed them. It's not about us, it's about our redeemer. It's about our God who redeemed us. You, you redeemed these people, you're the redeemer. You have a people that belong to you. You actually are making a way for us to be back in fellowship with you. And David is contemplating this, and he just is praising God with his highest praise. And then he moves in to bring every petition He's not crushed by this powerful being, but he's empowered by God to, Lord, can I, can I tell you to do something? Can I ask you to do something? And he says, the reason I have courage to pray this prayer is because you've given it to me. The reason that the Levites carried the ark from point A to point B in the tent is because you strengthened them. David is saying, the reason I have courage to even talk to you now is because you've given me the courage. You've given me the strength to do this. So I'm coming boldly. And I'm asking you in verse 25, will you confirm that? Yes, will you please? you ever bought a house? Will you please sign here and here and here and here and here and sign and sign? And David is saying, will you confirm that promise? confirm forever the word that you have spoken. Verse 25, and since it's confirmed, can I ask you Lord do what you said you're going to do? And in verse 29, he doesn't even preface it with if it's not asking too much, could you bless this household of mine? Now think about this, and this is where this is where we have to understand that God is over all, he's transcendent, and yet he sees, he understands, and he cares, and he loves, and like a father, a perfect father in heaven, he's saying, come to me. Now you have the right perspective. Now your, your heart is in the right place. You, you're abiding in my word. Now come to me, and I'll strengthen you and pray, and I'll help you pray. Pray. I'll give you the spirit to enable you to pray when you don't have the words to pray for your loved ones or a nation and you don't know what to say and you're so confused and your mind is just just white noise. I'll get it from here. Just come here and be with me. Mm -hmm. Confirm, do, bless. And the Lord doesn't say, you're doubting me? Well, forget it then. It's off. Cancel, void. No, no, no. David, he ends this whole encounter with the Lord where we need to end, and actually, we don't ever end this. It's where our end will be, which is the beginning of all eternity, and it's rest in God's providence. Verse 29, for you, O Lord God, have spoken with your blessing, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed. You know what? You're gonna do it. You're going to do it. I'm just going to camp here with you, Lord. I'm going to rest in your providence. He's, he he's just has absolute peace. There's absolute confidence. And he just says, you are God. I'm king, but I'm not God. You are God. Your word is trustworthy. You are good. And at the end of the day, like Psalm 73, you're enough. If I have you... I have everything. I have your word. I have your presence. You're not ever going to leave or forsake me. I'll rest here. I'll abide in this perfect peace. Loved ones, we can learn from David's example. David knew this God, the only living God. Can I put that question directly to you? Do you know him like this? Do you know him? because David is living on that side of the cross. It's his descendant that is coming to live the life that David could never live. David failed many times, and so have you, and so have I. And Jesus would come, this this one born of the seed of David, born of a virgin, lived the life you can never live, died the death that you deserve to die, that David deserved to die, that Solomon would deserve to die. And they buried him and he rose again the third day and he ascended and yes, he promised his spirit and his spirit came and indwelled the church and he is coming again and the church is waiting, filled with the spirit of God and we abide in the presence of God, which is why we gather together because we need one another and we're filled with the same spirit, and he's working, and he's making a people called by his own name. Does this not lead us to wonder and worship? So listen to how the writers of scripture said this invitation, because you should never hear this, whenever we think of the fear of God, it's this awe and this reverence and understanding who he is and who I am in my place, and he's called me and he loved me and he's never gonna get rid of me. He already gave the best that he had in Romans 8, his son for me. How will he not with him freely give me all things and to all who are indwelled by his spirit? So my confidence, I have peace and there's confidence that I can live in boldness and listen to how the apostle John, he, he doesn't just say, this is all mine and, and you know here's your courses, you beginners and you can enter and pay and you can move up this. No, 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 no. This old man, they say in church history, carried in on a stretcher to the church. You could barely hear him talk. The last living apostle of Jesus. And he says, my little children, 1 John 2, 1, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, right? if anyone should sin this week, me tell you, if you're in Christ, he says, we have an advocate. We have an advocate, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This old man is saying, hey, I know your thoughts are like my thoughts and they, they, they get sideways, but let's fix our eyes on Jesus. We have an advocate with the Father. And then Paul writes to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And Timothy, you know who that is? It's the man Christ Jesus. You don't go, I'm not your go-between. They're gonna chop his head off. And if, and if he was the go-between for Timothy to God, well, there went my, there went my intercessor. It's, he's gone. No, there's no human being that is in between you and God. That is doctrine from hell that would ever put someone in the place of Jesus. And so Paul writes, there's one mediator between God and men. Who is that? I don't want you to be crystal clear on this, Timothy. It's the man, Christ, Jesus, who is God. But he still bears the marks in his body of being crucified. So then the writer of Hebrews says, and he writes this, Hebrews four fourteen. since then, this is settled We have not just an advocate, not just a mediator, but we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is this? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then do you see what he's doing he's pushing these doors of heaven wide open saying come on come in jesus has opened the way and it's not through anything you can do not a not your words not a not a religious activity through baptism through communion through membership something that uh jesus and me got this done no 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 no, no. it's one song in heaven the lamb slain slayed for sinners He called me. He saved me. He redeemed me. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Loved ones, are you there today? Is your family there today in a time of need? Then where are we going to go? Go to the throne of grace. Go boldly to the throne of grace. Let's stand together. And I'm gonna pray this example of David over us, and then we're gonna sing in response. Father, thank you for giving your son, our advocate, our redeemer, our intermediator. Lord, he is our great high priest so that we can enter your very presence, so that we, Lord, can gain the right perspective through your word by your spirit so that, Lord, we can give you the highest praise because you are in the highest place and so we bring every petition to you, Lord, and we rest in your mighty providence. That is how we'll make plans. That is how we'll trust in your promises, Lord, and may we, as your children, live our lives praying, seeking your face, seeking you not just what you do for us but who you are and then use us as your hands and feet to be a blessing and a light and a witness to all who are around us for the honor and glory of jesus in whose name we pray and all god's people said amen
0: thank you again for listening to teaching from the word at grace community church